give a, a, a reminder of the different claims for, for truth, the, the different claims and understanding of different folks pursue God. Not so much to present competing religions. I don't find that helpful. But to show just how unique Jesus' claims are. Especially in the the span of understanding the, the world's religions. For I believe the uniqueness of Jesus, what you won't find... Uh, as as central, as core issue in the other religions of the world is the idea of grace. That Jesus isn't fair. I mean, it's a real scandal. It's so different to explore with just how unfair Jesus is and how grace uniquely makes Jesus unfair. It's such a scandal that a couple years ago, um, when uh, we did a sermon uh, on, uh, uh, did a whole sermon series on the prodigal son, and one of them is God isn't fair, and we put that on the marquee, and people really got upset about that. Had a couple calls that came in and said, you know, that's not right. And even after the sermon this morning, I had one person that said, you know, I just don't like that. God is not fair. I said, I don't like it either. I don't think we were saying we were saying the same words, but totally different places. Because it is a scandal, but it is true that we receive God's unmerited favor. That God gives us what we don't deserve. That's why He's not fair. An old young life leader of mine used to uh, tell us, this is how he would, every once in a while with his kids when they were younger, this is how he would describe, he would enact grace around the dinner table. You don't have to eat your green beans. You can eat dessert first. That was grace. It's a scandal, isn't it? Especially for any of you that have five-year-old boys who are uh, hearing that who will be asking for grace tonight. (laughs) Jesus gives even though we don't deserve what He gives. Matter of fact, He gives just the opposite. He gives us what we don't deserve. A warning when we should have gotten a ticket. huh? See, we... The way the world and the way of most of the world's religions are in somehow that, that we got to give God something for God to give us something back. We, we've got to give so that God gives us back. And in a way, we still are in control. If we're the ones that have to initiate the giving, if we've got to be good enough or we've got to say the right words, we've got to be smart enough, then we're the ones in control ultimately. And what is unfair, what is unique about Jesus is that He is the one that gives to us first. Bono, what what he says along these lines. At the center of all religions is the idea of karma. You know, 
what you put out comes back to you. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Or in physics, in physical laws, every action is met by an equal or opposite one. It's clear to me that karma is at the very heart of the universe. I'm absolutely sure of it. And yet, all along comes this idea called grace to upend all that as you reap, so will you sow stuff. Grace defies reason and logic. Love interrupts, if you like, the consequences of your actions. Which in my case is very good news indeed because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. But I'd be in big trouble if karma was going to finally be my judge. I'd be in a deep mess. He said something else, but I didn't, chose not to say that. <laughs> it doesn't excuse my mistakes. I mean, grace only goes so far, right? Don't excuse my mistakes, but I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins onto the cross because I know who I am. And I hope I don't have to. The way of Jesus is the way of grace. It is the way of unfairness. It's how He lived, it's what He taught, and it's how He died. Not that Jesus overlooks our sin, just sprinkles a little holy water and says, Oh, forget it, never mind, no big deal. No. Is that what is so unfair, ultimately unfair, is that He takes upon Himself the rage, the anger, the shame, the guilt, the evil, the power of our broken, selfish, sinful lives. He takes it on Himself. Jesus, God in the flesh, God the Son, becomes vulnerable. God is willing to be humiliated for me and for you. That is the cosmic act of unfairness, if there ever was one. In Luke, if you happen to read through Luke, chapter 22 through 27, he says it well, that I came among you as one who serves. Even from our perspective, it could look like that Jesus shows how God is even willing to take a risk on our behalf, to put himself in harm's way Not in order to destroy another. But he puts himself in harm's way so that he will be destroyed for our benefit. That is the scandal of grace. He's vulnerable. Even though he doesn't need to be. And he's all powerful. He's humiliated even though he's done no wrong. I mean, he is perfect. He endures pain, even though he has made no mistakes. He is good, righteous. That's the scandal of grace. That the perfect Jesus is willing to suffer for broken people like me and you. What I want us to do is just jump through three different stations in Jesus' life. 
where we see this unfairness unfold in how he lives, particularly how he's born, what he teaches, and how he dies. Let's pray. Gracious God, speak to us of the things of heaven. Speak to us of your righteousness and goodness. Speak to us of the ways of your kingdom. Free us from the ways of this world, from the ways of evil, from the ways of the evil one, and from the impact of sin in our lives. Show us the uniqueness of Jesus even more clearly. Amen. All right, first let's look at how Jesus lived. Uh, Luke chapter 2, page 832 in your pew Bible, starting with 2 verse 1. Familiar story. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. Luke chapter 2 verse 1. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. In the very beginning, Jesus shows just how vulnerable he's willing to become. And here's God, the creator of the universe, who then decides that he can become human. He can become part of creation. And you would think if the Creator, the King, you know, the, the Lord is going to be a baby, He's going to be in a womb, don't you think they at least have a nice clean delivery room for Him? But no, He becomes subject to the, the ir- irrational, unpredictable elements of our world. He becomes subject to the Emperor. The Emperor tells His parents that you've got to go to Bethlehem. You've got to go to your home. It doesn't matter. That you're pregnant with the Savior and Lord of the universe. That's where you got to go. So he becomes subject. He submits, even in the womb, to the powers of the world. I mean, it'd be like you and I becoming something that we've created. Becoming a computer. An automobile. A house. A toilet. That's what it would be. Somebody would have to turn the key on for us to go anywhere. Have to punch in the keys for us to do anything. Or flush us. And I hope that image is a little unsettling. Because it's easy to be calloused by this familiar Christmas story. And miss the unbelievable unfairness that God submits Himself to humanity and becomes what He has created. That's just how unfair God is to become that vulnerable, to be subject to space and time, bound by a physical body 
be bound, submitting to the process of human growth and maturity, even have zits, homework and chores. God! It's unfair, but it's the very nature. The unthinkable truth. God didn't need to do this. Jesus didn't draw the short straw of the Trinity. Say, all right, you go down. This is God's very nature. It's His very nature to give. From the very beginning, God gives. It was fine in perfect community in the triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There was no need to do anything. But it's God's nature to give. It's not how Jesus lived, nor is it what he taught. Fairness. Familiar story that I've referenced already. Luke chapter 15. Turn a few pages over. About uh, 17 pages over to page 850. Luke chapter 15, starting with verse 11. We'll pick up just a couple parts of this familiar story of the prodigal. Looking particularly at the Father as the Father represents God the Father. Starting with verse 11. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. Now, think about that a moment. That's, that's like my oldest coming to me. Hey, Dad, you know, you're worth more dead than alive, which is true. You know, if you died, we'd get the insurance. You, know, you go ahead and give that to me. I only got a year and a few months of high school left, and I'd have enough money to go to college, and I can go do my thing. So if it's all right with you, will you just die? So I can have my... That's what the son is doing to the father. And the fair response would be somehow to knock him upside the head, throw him in his room, throw him in with the pigs, anger, frustration, take it out on him, or at least like my mama used to do, wash his mouth out with soap for the very suggestion of saying such a thought. That would be fair. But the father... In humiliation. Gives it to him. Refuses to lash out at a lazy bum of a son. Then we're told that he squanders it all. In the ensuing verses, comes to his senses, makes a plan, wants to return home, figures, you know, I'll just work as one of dad's slaves. I'm eating better than I am right now. So he returns home. Verse 20. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. 
Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The dad sees his no good lazy bum of a son who wished he was dead far off in the distance. And we're told instead of anger, instead of justice, instead of fairness coming to his mind, what does he feel? Compassion. Now this is one of the few times that I'll quote a Greek word for you. Compassion. Splagoknizomai. Just sounds like the guts, doesn't it? That he was broken inside. That's how the father felt. Splagoknizomai. And he ran to his son. Across the village. Feeling compassion. That's not fair. That's grace. And even more so. The father running across the village was absolutely unheard of. It was humiliating for the father to do that. Because in order to do that, he'd have to hike up his robe, expose his legs to the village around, which was an unheard of act of humiliation from any well-respected elder in a community. He was willing to sacrifice his respect and honor in the rest of the community because he was motivated by the splagognitimai within him for his son. Had nothing to do with fairness. Had everything to do with grace. Willing to humiliate himself. And the reason was to protect his son Because any first century Jew would have known, hearing this story, any first century Palestinian in their village would have known if a son had done that in a village, he would have become persona non grata. He would have been on the most wanted list in the post office. And if he would have shown his face back in the village because his act was an act of rebellion that could have turned the village upside down if if a bunch of sons started to do that. And so they knew if he was coming back, he was going to be killed. They would have met him at the city gate and stoned him. Right there. So the father, motivated by compassion, willing to endure humiliation, hikes up his robe, runs across the village in order to embrace his son to protect him from his impending doom. And then he brings him home. Brings him home. Not even listening to his plan. You know, the son has a plan that the father totally ignores. Bring him in. Kill the fatted calf. Put a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet, and the best robe in the house, for my son has returned. There's nothing fair in this story. Just read the rest of it. Ask the older son. Because that's what he wants. He wants fairness but he doesn't get it. Jesus is unique. You know, actually, there's a Buddhist parable of the prodigal son. And in this particular story, the the, the Buddhist parable, the son does have to work his way back up because he has to learn the ropes again. Is sort of how they put it. Much more fair. But it's not the way of Jesus. He is unique. 
And finally, it's the way he dies. Luke chapter 23, verse 32. Starting there. Jesus on the cross. Two others also who were criminals. So, you know, one on the right and the left, criminals. All hanging on the cross together, or three different crosses. They were led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by watching. But the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. That would be fair, right? The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. I mean, that would be the way any self-respecting king would do it, right? There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And here, And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. To which he replied, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the ultimate picture of grace. For Jesus, who had done no wrong, even the criminal hanging next to him knew it, was willing to endure the pain for us. Jesus, with nails in his arms and in his feet, hanging on a cross, stripped bare before the world in total humiliation, is there. Offering forgiveness to the very ones who had hammers in their hands. And to the two criminals next to him. Inviting them in to his kingdom. Today, you will be in paradise. What is unique about Jesus? He did not claim his rightful place of honor. He gave it up. For all of us who are less deserving. He gives up his power. He doesn't claim it. He becomes vulnerable, not protecting himself. Humiliated without lashing out in retribution. It's grace. He gives without concern for what he deserves. It's unfair. I'm really tempted here. To go further. To add a if, an and, or a but. But I'm not going to. 
when we met with the minister's group on Monday. You know, we were, we were so tempted. I mean, this is such a scandal. It's so hard to grasp, to just receive that God would be so vulnerable for me. That we wanted somewhere how to add to it. We said, no, we're not going to do that. We will later. Don't worry. But today, for this week, simply take it in. Simply take it in that God isn't fair. That you don't get what you deserve. I mean, as I thought about it a little bit more, it's so hard to stop there because for two totally opposite reasons. One, one reason is because I want to believe that somehow or another I did something to deserve it. You know, I want to believe the lie that somehow I am good enough. Somehow, I, I did something that makes it happen. But it's simply what God gives. On the other hand, what makes it so hard to believe is there, that I believe the lie that there's no way I could be good enough. That there's no way that I can somehow please God. That I can bring pleasure to God. And that's a lie too. But, and the problem, that whole line of thinking, is that that's, that's in the ballpark of fairness. And, and the whole point of, of all this, looking at all of Jesus' life, His birth, His teachings, and His death, is that God isn't in that realm. That's not how God treats us. He's in a totally different ballpark. Totally different language. Because of God's nature, He gives. That is Grace has nothing to do with fairness. It has everything to do with His unique nature of grace. So as we continue to worship, a perfect time then to simply receive. In a few moments we'll have Controlled chaos, healing stations, communion stations. Come to them and receive. If, if whatever your need, whatever your concern, whatever you need healing from, hear this. God's nature is to give. If you don't feel you deserve it. If you haven't, you don't know what I did this week. I didn't read a bit of Luke. I didn't think anything about it. Matter of fact, I did a whole bunch of things that were unfair to other people. I don't deserve God's healing. Then you're exactly the one God is saying, come be healed. Because you got it right. Don't come to be healed because you deserve it. Come to be healed because we don't. And God gives And when we come to the communion table together, picture that last scene. Look at Jesus on the cross with a man on his right and his left. See Him. Hear Him. And receive His words. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they are doing. Come 
be with me in paradise. Hear those words as we remember that occasion as we gather at the table. We don't come to be healed and received because we deserve it. Blessedly, Jesus isn't fair. Marinate in that good news. Receive His abundant blessing and healing now. Amen.